Hey everybody, welcome to Your Team with Sue and Steph. I'm Sue. And I'm Steph, and we are the co-founders and owners of Your Team Media, the resource for parenting teens and teens. And today we're talking to Dr. John Duffy about boys. Really just boys, how are they doing? But before we talk to him, we're going to talk about, like, you know, we, we each have boys. Actually, we each have two Just boys. that. Yeah. And as I was prepping for this, I was thinking how along the way we've learned more about boys. We talked about girls a lot in everything we did. I think moms and daughters, there's probably more tension and there's more angst in that story because we were girls. And the boy thing kind of would creep up every now and then when, when, someone, uh, when a mom of boys would say to us, Hey, you guys really don't talk about <laughs> right. boys. And so I, I think about what I've learned along the way. And I had this moment after I read Peggy Ornstein's book, Boys and Sex. So she wrote Girls and Sex, and then she wrote Boys and Sex. And I think she wrote Boys and Sex because people said to her, why are you only focusing on girls? And it's a great book. I mean, I highly recommend the book. And then we had her on here to talk about it. So I just remember feeling so differently about these teenage boys, that they were suffering so much from a world that didn't allow them to be emotional and care about relationships. Like there, there's this bad boy kind of image for them. And she didn't find that in her research with boys. And it was just, I don't know, it, it kind of changed the way I thought about it, about raising my own two kids. I would agree with that. And I also think it's interesting. I was just thinking about um, my boys and your boys. Now, okay, I have to take one of yours out of the mix because he came much earlier. (laughs) But then three of ours, my two and yours, are in like a four-year age gap. (laughs) Or, you know, I remember thinking that if you had only raised boys, this is early in the your teen years. I remember thinking, if you had only raised boys, this is pre-social media that it almost seemed like you could get through unscathed. And I'm using air quotes. People can't see me, but almost unscathed as a parent versus what I thought about girls. I see that so differently now. And I think it's because of the mental health conversation. I think it's because of some of the things our listeners are going to hear from John today. Like it was just that like, it's almost like the whole lens got pivoted. It was all happening, but we just weren't talking about it because even to the point where I thought that's not as important. And I think, I guess as a parent, I would look at it and think, wow, I missed a lot of conversations. I mean, I I think all of us could say that when we look at raising kids, because the one piece that I always struggle with in terms of having the conversation is that you need to. Yeah, right. (laughs) I'll give you a sneak peek that John Duffy says, you know, sit and watch Friends and pause and then reflect on what happened on the screen. I love that. That I would do much more of. Because I think, first of all, you're not facing each other. <laughs> right. I don't know if you had this, but our very best conversations were in the car. And when my kids got their licenses, I was so aware of losing that opportunity because it would, it what didn't happen because I planned it. It would be like the fact that we're not looking at each other would mean that something would come out that would start a conversation either from me or from yeah. them. It wouldn't happen in a like at the dinner table when we're facing each other or a host of other ways. There was something so safe about, you know, mumbling it when you're in the car. (laughs) It's so true. Right. And so true. Yeah. And, and TV does the same thing. It's the same gift. Well, and it takes that pressure off. Sue, I don't know if you remember this. One of our first live panels, we had a kid from, he was already in college, but he was reflecting on his teen years. And he was the first person, certainly the first teen that I heard say, well, it's not just one conversation. Like, don't put all that pressure on. I can picture him, really tall kid. He was probably like 20 years old, cute, cute guy. And he's like, 
No, it's many conversations. And I remember thinking, oh, it's not the sex talk. Oh, it's not the drug talk. Um, but that, and obviously our listeners will hear John Duffy say that again, per your friend's conversation or friend's comment. And that as a parent, one, it takes so much pressure off because then you get the chance to do it so many different times. Um, but we do, I know at least for me, I put so much pressure thinking, oh my God, here's the chance. And I'm either going to get it right or I'm going to get it wrong and mostly wrong. Um, but this idea of just being able to infuse little pieces, so much less pressure. Yeah. And there's no right or wrong. Like in that little moment, you don't say the right thing, but then the next time you do it, you, you change it up. But I love that you brought up that panel that we did. So we used to do local events early on and we would have experts on the stage and we would have these great interviews. And when we had that panel about teens and sex, we were surprised at the, like there was a drop in attendance. And what we found out afterwards that people, parents felt like if they came to the event, they were saying my kids have sex. (laughs) Exactly. So the taboo around not just having the sex talk with your kid, but hearing it, having it showing up anywhere where that is taking place without it being mandatory. It's such a funny thing. We had babies. (laughs) (laughs) We had sex then, you know. I mean, assuming you went about it in that way and acquiring your children. So going to a panel discussion about sex shouldn't be so embarrassing yeah. that you're afraid it sends a message to the rest of the world. And by the way, anybody else who's there <laughs> is sending exactly. whatever message you think is being said, they're sending it also. Here's one thing I keep thinking about is I remember thinking with the boys like, oh, that's Todd's topic. The sex talk, that's, those are the boys. Todd's going to have that with, with the boys. And oh, and the sex talk, I'm going to have it with our daughter. And I think I would have been, tried to be more fluid with that. <laughs> and, and just, I don't know, like, Instead of thinking about their gender assigned at birth, just just having that same conversation about respect and porn and all of it. I'm not sure. I think I had something in my head that I wish I had approached it differently. I mean, I have a million regrets (laughs) because it's hard not to as the mother. But um, one thing I will say is that they drove the conversation. Yeah, I was never in the power position to say, like, can we talk about your friendships or how's everything going at school? They, no one liked that right. in my house. The, the only difference was what was brought to me. And I'm not even sure the vulnerability in my house was divided by gender. Like I'm not a hundred percent sure that what came to me, I have boys that would say they were sad, mm-hmm. but they didn't want to go any further than yeah. that. There was no kind of yeah, there was none of that, but also not so much with my girls. Yeah. I always felt like I want to be in your brain and in your heart and know everything that's going on, but I don't think life really works that way. <laughs> Up next is our conversation with Dr. John Duffy. We can't wait for you to join us. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. 
So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no. Today's guest is Dr. John Duffy. He is a clinical psychologist who has worked with teens and families for almost 20 years. He's a nationally recognized expert in self-awareness, relationships, and parenting. And he is the author of Parenting the New Teen in the Age of Anxiety. John, thanks so much for being here with us. We hear so much about how girls are suffering from anxiety and depression at higher levels than ever. Are we giving enough attention to boys right now? The answer is easy, Sue. We are not. It is true about girls, by the way. They are suffering from anxiety and depression. It is higher than it's ever been in the 25 years I've been doing this. But girls have this hope in the in their eyes and in their minds. Um, they can see a future for themselves that looks bright. I think the Me Too movement has helped this. I think some things that have happened over the course of the pandemic has helped this. So even though girls are going through all the things and feeling all the feelings and, and really getting into very dark spots, they can see their way through it. And when they're in therapy, they have the, the, the language and the emotional uh, astuteness to go right to it and, and figure it out with some degree of energy and vigor. I am not seeing the same in boys. And that the, the differential is it's significant. It's massive. Is that new? It is. It is new. Um, it, it's new in that it's like way worse than it used to be. Boys, I find, and I think this is a result in part of the pandemic, are opting out more and more and more. So instead of being engaged and trying, boys are giving up on themselves. They, they don't recognize the degree to which they're resilient. So they give up on themselves really easily. So what looks like a behavior problem is usually depression or anxiety. And boys will migrate to the basement or to their room and they will stay there. And unlike girls who are engaging, boys are often, they'll play video games. They might engage a little bit, but they're also vaping or they're smoking pot or they're doing other things to kind of opt out of the schoolwork, the extracurricular stuff, all the stuff that kids need to form that identity and to get to that next stage. Development for boys is all but arrested. That's not across the board, but it's pretty close, if I'm being honest. I, I want to jump in with something. So when you say opting out, does that mean opting out of social media too? No, uh, mm-hmm. it really means opting out of anything that feels progressive in their lives. You know, um, in other words, there are fewer boys who are getting up off the couch and playing sports or up on a stage or playing an instrument. They'll, they'll scroll through Snapchat because they'll see some funny memes from their friends. But even that, feels way more active, oddly, Stephanie, than it, with girls than it does with boys. With boys, it feels like a very, very passive activity. They're just moving through the day and passing time. And it fosters this degree of depression and loneliness that is darker than it used to be, at the very least. And I, want, I don't want to paint too grim a picture. Boys are funny. 
They are smart. They are resilient. They've got a lot going for them, but they just don't have that light in their eyes that says, I see where things can work out for me. I hear way too often, it's not a good time to be a boy. It's not our time. And I think they really are internalizing that. As a society, our, our message to boys has always been, you know, this stay strong, don't be, you know, don't show your emotions. Is that harming our sons? And if so, how do we make changes there? Yeah, it, it actually is harming our sons. You know, like I'm not against gender roles and some traditional masculine stereotypic things, right? But I think when we tell our boys, stay strong, that means don't show your emotions. That means, you know, like tight upper lip thing, like you're not going to cry, you're not going to get upset. And, you know, if you look at TikTok, which is where kids are an awful lot these days. There's an awful lot about how it's important to show your emotions. It's important. It's it's okay to cry. And boys are getting these clashing messages from the adults in their lives, from social media. And so there's this real identity crisis that boys are going through. Is it okay to show emotion? Because we see like these athletes and when they say they're depressed or they're going through some anxiety, they're getting these accolades. But there are also guys out there who are on the other end of the spectrum. There are guys like a Joe Rogan and Ben Shapiro and some guy, and not to be political in any way, but guys who are saying masculinity needs to be this old school, traditional masculinity. And I think this gives boys a really twisted sense of who they are supposed to be. So the boys I'm working with are just not sure. They're not sure how to present to the world. And that is evident in the way they talk in their restriction of emotion, in the way they dress, in the things they do, in almost every way they present to the world, their confusion is pretty evident. There was an article recently in the Washington Post by Jennifer Fink. She's written books about boys. She has boys. And we've had her on as a guest on our podcast. The title was, We're Missing a Major Health Crisis. Teen Boys Are Struggling Too. It's a great article. And one mom in the article, who's quoted in the article, lost a son to suicide. And she thought she understood the signs of depression. She had an older son who went through depression. She was down a path of what we get told are the things to look for. And the second son was presenting differently. And she just said, boys will be boys, right? Like this is adolescence. So what are the things that you want to put out there that you know now that maybe parents don't know about the difference between boys and girls about depression? This is so important. I'm so glad you asked, Sue. And first of all, I love that. That article is a really important read. I encourage parents to, to take a look at it. So there are these diagnostic criteria in diagnostic manuals, the DSM, the ICD-10, about what depression looks like. But when you get to adolescence, it looks very, very different. Um, With teenage boys, uh, depression doesn't look like these diagnostic criteria. Sometimes they'll seem kind of upbeat. Uh, So just that sadness isn't always evident. What they often will do is isolate, but almost all teenage boys isolate sometimes. So parents have to be discerning, right? You know, like, is he isolating more than his brother or than other boys? Because kids are up in their rooms and they've got AirPods in. They keep to themselves. There's something normal about that. So we have to be discerning about like, is this beyond what's normal? So you almost have to compare your child's behavior, your son's behavior to the way he was two weeks ago. And if it's changing radically and quickly, that's the time to to look and to intervene. If he's really irritable, if he's suddenly hanging out with a completely different group of people, these are the kinds of like massive changes that you see like where you're 
that that kind of raised these red flags. Like parents will tell me often, um, especially with boys who eventually become suicidal, like I knew something was off, but I'm not sure I know exactly what that was. And that's what I want parents to start to pay attention to is to trust their own instincts as opposed to this kind of like checklist, this criteria checklist, because that's not going to be reliable with your teenage boys. Um, So that mom, I so feel for her because she can't really hold herself accountable. There are probably no way, there's no way to tell sometimes. The, the thing I find that is most interesting in teenage boys is if you ask them, are you okay? First, they might not know what that means. But if you ask them, are you sad? Are you lonely? Are you depressed? They'll answer those questions. Are you suicidal? Do you think about it? They will answer that question, especially if you've got a little something in the emotional bank account with them. So, you know, fostering your connection with your son is really, really important so that when you get to the point where you're asking those questions, they're compelled to be honest with you and they're confident you're going to be there to help them, not to shame them. I heard from parents recently who said, hey, to their son, suicide's off the table. We would be too sad. And that, that's coming from a really honest place, right? They, they, they mean that, but effectively they're saying, if you're feeling it, don't talk to us about it. And that's the last message you want to give to your boys, right? Because boys are nonverbal enough, I think, for most of us. So, um, And girls are kind of often on the other end of the spectrum. So to the point that we can get them verbal, we want that to happen. So there's another quote um, in that same article, and it was that being male is the biggest risk factor for suicide. Are boys at higher risk of dying by suicide? Yes. And this comes down to fundamentally one thing in my mind, hope. And our boys more and more do not feel hopeful about themselves, the world, the future. But what brings them to that brink of suicide is usually they don't like themselves very much. They sincerely don't believe that the world is a better place with them in it. So they need to hear from us that on the worst day, you know, when when they have blown off school or gotten an F on another test or forgotten another assignment or didn't do it their chores or won't get out of bed, on the worst day, they need to hear from us, hey, we're good. You can talk to me anytime because boys are absolutely more at risk And we need to provide them some degree of hope. What what I'm hearing from boys as much as anything is I can look at my parents and see what they have. I don't want that. I don't want that life. So part of it is modeling a life that is hopeful and joyful and shifting and changing and interesting because boys are looking up and they're not seeing anything that looks enticing to them, that makes them want to stick around. And because teenage boys can be very impulsive, that becomes a problem. Wow, that's terrifying. Yeah. Okay, so this is a, a question from one uh, one of our Your Teen followers. Is there any amount of pornography consumption that is safe for teenage boys, given how readily available it is on their phones? It's not the same as generations past that didn't have limitless supplies of pornography right on their screens in front of them at all times. Is it about abstinence or is there some kind of reasonable factor there? This is another really, really important question, super timely right now, um, because on their phones, boys, we know boys have access to pornography. The idea that abstinence is the way is, practically speaking, a foolish idea. And we're super anxious about talking to our boys about porn. And if I had one message for parents, it would be, you've got to get past that because 
porn takes up a lot of the mind space of your boys. And it's part of the way they see themselves. So they are looking to define themselves and they often compare themselves to men in pornography, for example, in a really unfavorable light. I'm not virile like that. I'll never be able to be like that. So we hear more and more about boys not engaging with girls the way they used to. There's less sexual activity. There's less going to proms and homecomings and things like that. A lot of this is tied for boys to fear about how they're going to be able to connect with girls or with other boys sometimes. And that is a serious, serious problem to the point where I work with some boys as young as 15 or 16 who start to question their sexuality after a while, in part because they are looking at more and more porn. They're becoming desensitized to it. And so they're not having the same visceral reaction to it that they did when they started watching pornography at very young ages. And so they wonder, oh, I wonder if I'm reading myself incorrectly here. So it creates this kind of sexuality confusion in boys. So if we are present and available to talk to them about that, we can help them work through that. And it doesn't take a lot, but they have to know you're open to talking about it. If they don't, they will never mention it to you, you know, obviously. And we are reluctant to mention it to them, but these are really important conversations to have. It's kind of like the entire world of our boys or an awful lot of it. It takes place in the shadows. It's not overt. Like, you know, so porn takes place on a phone or on a computer for boys. And a lot of what they're listening to is taking place between their ears. So if they're listening to certain podcasts, you know, that are kind of indoctrinating them into a certain way of thinking, we're not privy to that unless we make ourselves privy to that. And that requires a lot of questions and open discussions, not shaming discussions, but open discussions. We have another question from uh, someone from our audience. And the question is this, how can I motivate my introverted teen son to participate more in his school community? Yeah. First of all, it's a great question because we need our boys to be more involved. That That's true. Some boys are, and, and they're off and running, and I love that, but there's an awful lot of boys who are inert. And that shift from inertia to movement is hard, especially after a pandemic where they were told for a while, don't move, you know, don't move. It's dangerous, right? So what I encourage parents to do instead of saying we're mandating that you try out for the basketball team or something is to talk to their boys about what engaging in an extracurricular activity or two would be like and what their reluctance is. And again, to draw them out and get them talking about it. Because they may have some social anxiety. They may have some performance anxiety about being out there. So we want to let them air that out. In a way, parents have to be de facto therapists in a lot of ways these days. And it's it's about big, open communication. And once you find out what it is that's stopping them, then you know what you're working with, right? Uh, It's not usually... Maybe it's never laziness or, you know, I just don't want to or I don't think I'm going to be any good. Maybe the push they need is just somebody hearing them out. This is what I'm anxious about. This is what I'm worried about. I'm not going to do it very well. Or there's some guys on there who are going to make fun of me. Um, Or this isn't something that guys normally do. So I don't want to try out for the play. And And with a little encouragement and listening, you can get them there. And at some point, if your boy will not engage, this is true for boys and girls, by the way, I encourage parents, play the parent card. Tell them you've got to sign up for something. It can't be something that meets once a week or once a month. It's got to be something that meets regularly 
is a team or is the play or is the band or something because it's really, really important that kids are engaged. It provides this sanctuary that uh, from phones and screens and all the anxieties that those bring that nothing else does. You know what I mean? It really takes them out of them themselves and they see themselves in a whole different light in that extracurricular activity. So it's not something to give up on. So make sure you do the listening before you do the lecturing because they won't hear the lecture without. So I've been parenting for 33 years. I missed getting the parent card. I don't have that. I don't have it. (laughs) Yeah. I was thinking the same thing, except I'm 26 years, but yes, same. Quick caveat to the parent card thing. You might only have one. You might have two, but you don't have 10 of them. I I don't want to be overly zealous about the parent card. You might only have one or two, so use them sparingly, right? Because I realized I failed to talk to parents about how few they hold. And so chores were the parent card and telling Mm -hmm. me exactly where you're going is the parent card and every, you know, the curfew is the parent card. That doesn't work. You get one parent card. I'm still going to use it. I'm waiting. (laughs) I'm holding out. So um, the next thing we're going to do is a speed round, which is going to be entirely impossible because we're going to ask you to help parents change their kids' lives with like one sentence, but do the best you can. So we always thought that that body image was a girl thing. Is that true? No, body image is every bit a boy thing as it is a girl thing. Um, Do not assume that your boy is happy with the way he looks. Every boy I work with has body image issues. So do not presume that your boy does not. This is no longer a girl thing if it ever was. And I don't think it ever was. So I meant to say this is from Betsy Jewell, who hosts the podcast High School Hamster Wheel, right with Evergreen. We're in the same place. That's how we met. And she has two boys. So she sent me a bunch of these. How do you get boys to open up about their feelings? I know we talked about it a little bit, but give us like one zinger. Yeah, the zinger would be this. Open up about yours. So talk to them about what it was like, how you felt when you were their age or about your feeling now. If you are forthcoming and you model that for them and you show them that that's not that big a deal, that's your best bet in getting them to open up about theirs. Getting them to clean their dang room. Close the door. There are certain battles worth fighting and there are certain battles that are not worth fighting. And with teenage boys, there's so many other things going on. My strong bias is close the door. And or if you're if you can't live with that, make it a once a month chore. It is not going to happen more frequently than that. And you're just going to create arguments. And that is not a great way to spend your time with your kids. Okay, help them find an interest other than video games. So what parents want to do is take the video games away. That doesn't work. Play the parent card. One parent card, get them involved in something extracurricular, something you think they might have an acumen in. It might not be what you want, but let follow it through if you think it's something they're interested in and show up for it. So if they're involved in something extracurricular, do not blow it off. Show up and be there because a lot of kids tell me their parents aren't there. Okay, so you, you talked about the porn talk. How do we have just the sex talk? I mean, we all mean to do it well, but none of us really know how to. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take the speed round for what it is. The best way to have the sex talk is to have a hundred of them. hundred, very brief. Hit the pause button during friends and say, okay, what do you think Ross and Rachel are talking about right now? What do you think is going on in that relationship? We're going to have an awkward 15 minutes and then, or five minutes rather, and then we're going to move on. Then, I'll, then, we'll, then we'll hit play. Do not say we're going to sit down and have a very... <laughs> Uh, stretch out talk about sex. Your, your kids will just cringe and so will you. <laughs> okay. And then last one, a little lighter, I guess, talking about their future. How do you, uh, 
Should we be talking to them about that? And how do we do that? We shouldn't put pressure on them about their future. They're already doing that. And I promise you, even if your kid is opting out and doesn't seem to be, he's thinking about his future. So let them do what we used to do. Let them be idealistic. Um, Ask them like, in a perfect world, what does it look like when you're 10 years older? or 20 years older. Let them play with that idea. Let it be ridiculous. You know what I mean? Let it let it start with, you know, I'm going to be in the NBA and I'm going to be making $30 million. And, you know, you can back, you can go move back from there, but let them idealize what their future is going to look like for a while because they don't have the luxury of doing that. They go right to something that is overly practical and usually pretty grim. So be playful with that. Okay. I turn it over to Stephanie for the last question. All right, we're going to wrap up with the question we ask all of our guests. What is the biggest myth about raising teenage boys? The biggest myth is that boys don't care. If your kid is down in the basement, up in his room, not doing what you're asking him to do, do not assume he doesn't care. Every single boy I work with, and I know a ton of boys, they care. They think about their lives, their place in the world a lot. So don't make the assumption that they're lazy, that they're opting out because they don't care. They care a lot. It's all they think about the vast majority of the time. So please recognize that and don't make that assumption because if you're fighting that battle, it's a red herring and you're missing what's really, really important over there, helping them find their place in the world. Thanks for joining us today. If you have any topics that you want us to talk about, let us know on our Facebook page or email editor at yourteenmag.com. You can follow Your Teen on Facebook by searching Your Teen for Parents and on Instagram and Twitter at Your Teen Mag. Okay, so we're, we're two moms who share everything. We read an article and we go like, oh my God, my friend, my friend has that same story. We listen to a podcast and we think to ourselves, who can we share this with? It was so good. And we're hoping you're the same. We're hoping you're listening to our podcast, Your Team with Sue and Steph, and you're so excited by what you're hearing that you're sharing it with a friend. We're so grateful in advance for you doing that because that changes our whole story. We get much more exposure and we want everyone to hear what our fabulous, talented experts have to say to help us raise our teenagers. You can find more from us at yourteenmag.com and listen to all our episodes on evergreenpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your Team with Sue and Steph is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producer Michael D'Aloya, plus our favorite producer, Hannah Leach, and audio engineer, Gray Longfellow. We'll see you next time. Hey Hey there. there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.